You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. During the initial stages of the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, two years later, I'm not only healthy, but I've been declared in remission. But I'm still continuing this podcast, during which I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. And now I'm also calling some new people to make some new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. I left the traditional newspaper industry, traditional journalism, you might say, in 1995, so more than 25 years. It's been a long time. Most of my career now has been spent in what we might call new media. But really now new media is common media. All of us who work for 24-7 Sports and the other networks, Rivals.com and On3, we're in many ways the backbone now of the written word, along with our colleagues over at The Athletic. And it's been an interesting evolution, a process to not only witness, but be a part of as we've changed so much as an industry. So I was fairly young when I got into this, magazines, and then it became websites. But now I'm seeing so many promising young journalists coming out of school and getting into this and learning how to be a journalist from what was once looked down upon. And once in a while, there's a young person that just rises above everyone else, and that is Taylor Gasper, who is now Taylor Estes because she's married, at our 24-7 Longhorn site down in Texas. And her and I have bonded immediately, close friends to this day. She's like a little sister or a niece to me. And I have so much respect for her. She got into a predominantly male industry, not just sports writing, but at the time, the fan site industry was almost old white guys all the way through it. And now we're very diverse. And she kind of led the way in that. She's a great young journalist. So now let's call my dear friend Taylor Estes in Round Rock, Texas. Taylor, how are you? What's good? How are you? Good. I did tell you that the podcast starts the second you answer the phone, right? Oh, no. (laughs) You did not. (laughs) Okay. Well, the dogs are barking, so it kind of screwed up the open anyhow. But here we go. How is, uh, you've been at the lake. What lake do you go to? So um, my family has a lake house in, um, on Lake Palestine. So it's kind of in East Texas. So I was there the, uh, Basically, since I left Big 12 Media Days, it was kind of nice, relaxing time there. That's nice. Is it a yeah. 100,000 degrees there? Uh, yes, it is scorching hot, so uh, it's nice to be near the water, but it's so hot that, like, literally the water feels like bath water. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just, like, it's hard to hard to cool off sometimes there. <laughs> I think I was talking to our friend Ari Timken when we were down there, and he goes, I went to a friend's house, I got in the pool, and I'm like, this is hot. This isn't relaxing. It's, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's baking everything. I can't believe how hot it's been in Texas, but um, it's uh, reasonably nice here today. By by that standard, it's okay in Kansas. So let, let's back up to the very start. Let's just jump right in here. When you got into this industry, give me your give me the Taylor Gasper Estes background. You know, it kind of was weird. I actually, um, I didn't major in journalism. I went to the University of Texas and um, I had transferred from a school in California. And so um, when I had transferred, I got into the liberal arts school and I got into the journalism school, but it would have made it to where I had to essentially like do a ton of classes over. And my dad, he helped me pay for my tuition. And his thing was, you know, you have four years to graduate. And so um, I was not about to 
you know, go in major debt for student loans just to change my major. So I started doing a lot of internships um, prior to graduation. I started uh, interning at ESPN Radio here in Austin, and it kind of led me into now what I do with 24-7 Sports. Um, a lot of the guys that I worked with at that radio station actually worked for Rivals, and so I, you know, got closer with them, and um, they wanted to do a video product for uh, the rival site, that uh, the Texas rival site. I don't want to give them uh, any recognition, so I'm just going to leave it the Texas <laughs> rival site. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I uh, I started doing the video product there, and it just kind of you know worked my way into more of a managing editor type of role, and that's where I'm at here at 24/7. So it's it's kind of not the traditional path, you know. I think that um, you know I thought it led to a good end goal. I would say that. So when did you graduate from Texas? 2009. You're aging me, Fitz. You're making me tell my age. I'm I know. From a 2009. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just trying to piece together when our paths cross because we go way back. At least, well, I think we decided at least 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. So you were just a pup when we met. And uh, those were fun times. I mean, back in those days, Rivals was the game. Uh, I think Scout was around. But, you know, it was about Rivals back then. And we just dominated the marketplace. And it was it was fun. We were all flourishing and and thriving during that time period. Uh, unfortunately, when you were graduating college, I was uh, coming off my Ron Prince years, which was a traumatic situation for me and everyone associated with Kansas State. Um, right. But uh, we were getting Coach Snyder back, so it was fun times. Those were really good times. I remember being in Baltimore for a rivals camp, staying at the Hilton right there overlooking the ball field with our buddy Eric Winter as the, the boss, and it, those were that, that was a fun time at Rivals. It really was, yeah. That that uh, trip to Baltimore was uh, entertaining, to say the least, on a number of of uh, scales, I think, that we all would agree with. We, I, I think there's some stories we can't tell. but Well, I, a, I, I can, but I won't. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we'll we'll keep those we'll keep it uh, PG rated. I think that's probably best. But yeah, no, that was that was a lot of a lot of fun. And you know, I think the one thing that um, I've really enjoyed, honestly, being in this industry and even covering Texas is the the um, guys that work in our network that cover the Big Twelve. I mean, they're as good as they get. You know, whether they're I mean, I'm, I'm still close with people. You know, at rivals that are Big Twelve. Right. Um, you know, site publishers and great, stuff like that. Great publishers. For the most yeah, part, except, for, except for one guy we're not going to mention. Yeah, <laughs> who is a not to be named, but yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, we've uh, you know, there's just been a lot of uh, really memorable times, and I, I always was very appreciative of how all of y'all kind of really embraced me too, because I was the only girl, you know, kind of tagging along with all the guys, yeah. and um, it's just always been so much fun and catching up, and even just you know being in in uh, Arlington, and we went to Top Golf, you know. Um, at Big 12 Media Days, just like catching up with the 24-7 publishers. I mean, everyone's so awesome, and I think that's honestly one of the biggest things I'm going to miss about Texas going to the SEC is the the relationships that we've been able to truly build um, from a lot of these, like, conference affiliations. So that that's something that's going to be a little tough, but, um, you know, I uh, – I, I, I think it's just been a lot of fun, and and you're right. I think we've we've known each other for at least ten years, and uh, there's been a lot of times and taking me out in Aggieville before, and uh, a lot that, of fun stories from that. So that worked yeah, out well for you. Yeah, that worked mm-hmm. out great for you. Um, <laughs> but let let's get to this because I, I guess I've never actually asked anyone in our industry this question as a young female in a predominantly male industry. What was that like? Um, it, it could be challenging at times, but I, I really think, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of young, like, you know, aspiring female journalists in my um, time since I've been in this industry. And I think the thing is, you ha- having um, a really, really strong backbone, <laughs> really honestly, is the thing that you have to have. Uh, there's just a lot of, you know, criticism that I think that women in media, especially sports media, get that men do not, you know, I, I feel like there's almost, um, a lot fewer or a lot, um, there's not much room for error. You know, it's like if a female says something wrong, people hold on to it a lot more than if a man says something wrong and it kind of just like goes, you know, by the wayside or whatever. But, um, I think the biggest thing that helped me honestly is I grew up with three older brothers. I've always been more of a tomboy. I would say, um, you know, I played sports my whole life. And so, it's always been a little bit more natural for me to be around men, to be honest, right. um, more so than women, just having just, you know, since I was little, I mean, my 
my whole childhood, all I wanted to do was play with my brothers. You know, it wasn't like I was playing Barbies. I was playing with their Ninja Turtles, you know, and things like that. And so um, I think that honestly, that kind of helps, but I would be lying if I said there hasn't been times where there's been really challenging times where I'm like, why do I put myself through this? You know, kind of subjecting myself to a lot of this. But at the end of the day, it's really difficult for me to complain about anything just because, you know, I just, I love the whole environment of college athletics, especially college football. I love that they're, you know, every single year there's at least 25 or more new stories you get to tell about these young, you know, um, young men that are, coming into their own. And, um, it's, I just, I think it's very, very rewarding. So I would say that while there's definitely been a lot of, um, times that have been challenging, they, the rewards way outweigh the, the issues that I've had to face. But, um, and, and I, you know, I kind of don't even like really talking about it. Cause I feel like some people may hear it and they may be like, oh, okay, like poor you, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Type of thing. And, and so that's where, you know, I try not to ever really you know, complain much about anything. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing is you just really have to, um, you have to know who you are. You have to have a really strong backbone, honestly, and really thick skin. And if you can ignore the trolls and I'm not good about all the time, sometimes I, I feed the trolls a little bit, but, um, you know, I think, um, you just have to really, you have to really want it. I would right. say that that's probably the, the biggest thing you have to really want it. And you just have to kind of realize that, you're not going to be in a room full of women. You're, you know, I've never had a female co- colleague, honestly, at any site that I've worked at or anything. Even when I worked in radio, the only females that worked there were in sales. So there's just a lot of different things. But I do think that, you know, growing up with um, with older brothers and playing sports and that really kind of helped mold me to be able to handle that type of thing where some women, if they had not had that, I would think would be probably a lot more challenging road for them. Well, I've I've seen it happen to you as I've seen it happen to other female colleagues in this industry of the the, the throw it back at you on online or on social media. Well, you're a woman, and as soon as they start there, or you're a girl, which is even more condescending. Uh, I know they've got nothing of substance because let, let me just testify publicly to this: if we're thinking all men in sports are intelligent, we've come from a wrong platform there. <laughs> We have enough idiots with penises out there in this industry that uh, we can we accept everyone. Everyone gets yeah. to have bad opinions on occasion because God knows I have. But it's, right. it's you know, I'm friends with so many of my female colleagues that the crap they put up with, particularly online with trolls. And I I disagree. I think sometimes you got to push back. You can't mm-hmm. just let it all roll off of you once in a while. You got to let them know that. Uh, uh, don't don't mess with Mama Bear, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what uh, you do. That I I do appreciate that. But with all that said, you've been in this industry for a while, and you've been um, well known in Texas circles for a while. You've got a long ways to go to become the most uh, famous person in sports in your family. Um, <laughs> yes, g- long way. <laughs> give me your background and your dad, because this is incredible. Yeah, so um, my dad was on the 1969 Mets that won the World Series, and, you know, we played with Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver, and um, Yogi Berra was one of the coaches, and um, Gil Hodges, you know, the manager who, thank goodness, is finally being inducted into the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. It's about time for that one, but yeah, I mean, um, my dad, he... uh, He'll tell you that he was a, a doll or a dime or a dollar athlete with a dime brain is what he'll say. <laughs> so he ended up making a few mistakes, but he was on that, you know, that 69 Mets World Series team. He scored the game winning run in game four of the 69 World Series and they won, you know, in game five. But um, it's really cool. I mean, a few summers ago, we went to New York to celebrate the 50 year anniversary of the New York Mets. And it's something that, like, I think growing up, I never truly grasped a hold too much of how significant that team really was. I mean, um, they're, you know, the Mets have only won two world series in, in uh, leagues or organization history, you know, and that being the first one, they were such a young team. I mean, entering that year, they had a hundred to one odds to win the world series and they started off really slow. The funny story is, um, I think it was, they played the expos, I believe. And it was the, like the first, um, opening series I believe it was this and they played the Expos and they lost and the Expos literally just became an organization so that's how that 69 series or uh, season started 
for the Mets and just the turnaround that they made, honestly, out or um, I think it was pretty much in July, like mid July is when they really started getting through a run. It's incredible. And like hearing the stories, you know, um, one of my favorite people is Cleon Jones. He's the funniest guy that you'll ever meet. And hearing just some of the stories from the old timers, like especially when we were at the 50 year reunion, which is something that I, was so magical and something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And honestly, it was something growing up. I never, I just kind of like, Oh yeah, my dad won the world series. And it was never anything that was a really like in my mind, a massive deal. And as I've gotten older, especially, you know, being in sports media and stuff and learning a lot more about the history, I really have, it's, it's incredible, honestly, that, um, you know, to have a dad who achieved the highest goal in, you know, the, the league that he was playing in. So it's a, it's really cool. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty humble about it. Uh, he never used to wear his world series ring actually, which is kind of funny because he thought that it would be like he was showing off, but, um, I'm glad that he changed that. Cause I told him one time, I was like, dad, I understand like, you know, nobody's going to think that you're showing off, but like think of the amount of people who would never see a world series ring. So it's like that, that's a, you know, it's a gift to them too. And so he wears it a lot more now, but, um, you know, it's, it's really cool. Honestly, it's something that I think, uh, I probably took for granted a lot growing up, like not learning a lot more about it, but as I have gotten older, it's just been really fun to kind of hear all the stories and just know how impactful, honestly, and how, I mean, a hundred to one odds, you know, that, yeah. that's a, that's a pretty substantial turnaround there. Um, especially for a young organization too. Just incredible because your dad didn't only win a world series. He won one of the most famous Mm -hmm. uh, world series titles of all time because of what they did that season. So it's just amazing to me. And it's really cool. I was just watching something on TV and I'm totally spacing the actor's name, but he and his wife are both television or movie stars. And, Mm -hmm. uh, their daughter just think that's normal. You know, she's three and she just thinks, you know, they're on TV. That's what they're up there. Yeah. That's what they do. That's, you know, they, you, with your kid, you don't register how unique it is, what, what your parents might be doing, but it's really cool. Um, okay. So you end up, uh, going over to scout, right. Or 24 yes. seven. Cause there was this scout weird first. period in yes. our industry where 24 seven had started and scout was stealing people and 24 seven was stealing people. And, it gets a little confusing, but you went to Scout. Yes, I went to Scout after I left Rivals, and and then they ended up merging into twenty four seven. And I I'm going to be honest here. I've taken a lot of shots of members of the Austin media over the last I don't know year, almost a year mm-hmm. to the day, probably, um, but never you guys because I have the utmost respect for all of you that work at the twenty four seven Texas site because you know what you do, you cover Texas sports. You don't get caught up in the crap and the nonsense and and uh i i saw some people that i have had respect for in the past behaving like fanboys in at media days and asking what i thought were really inappropriate questions about expansion like it because it doesn't affect texas i mean why are you asking about big 12 expansion because it just doesn't really impact you i just thought the whole thing was strange yeah there were there are and i think that you know you and i were talking at media days but just the fact that you know, people are asking Deuce Vaughn why he didn't transfer and stuff like that. I just think that's so inappropriate, honestly. I mean, you know, obviously with the transfer portal era and all of that, like I understand that it's the talk, especially of the off season, but like why I, I have the utmost respect for Vin, or for uh, Deuce Vaughn that he like would shut that down because he probably could have transferred anywhere, but why would you ask that? You know, it's like he chose Kansas state for a reason and Kansas state's one of the, you know, the few schools that gave him an opportunity to become the type of player that he is. And those are the, like, there's been a lot of questions that I've heard even in the spring covering Texas spring practice where, um, you know, media members were asking players on the team, why they didn't leave, like asking Bijan Robinson, why he didn't transfer or just sit out this year after that, you know, five and seven season last year. And I just sometimes am dumbfounded, you know, when I hear some of these questions, I'm like, where, where are we going here? You know, it's like, what, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to like pin these players in a situation or put them in a corner to where they say something so you can pounce on it and then get clicks. Like, I just, I don't like that. And I, I do, I appreciate you saying that, you know, about our staff at 24 seven, because I feel like we all are very much um, on the same page of what's appropriate and what's not. If you want to talk to coaches about that, that's fine. You don't need to talk to players about that. That's just my personal opinion. And, you know, I know that you felt that same way with people asking, um, you know, do spawn that question at um, big 12 media days or even saying things, you know, mid season, there were some tweets that people were sending about that. It's just like, 
why, you know, it's like, I, I just, I, I don't like that type of, you know, gotcha journalism. And I think yeah. that sometimes there's a lot of people that fall into that because they think it's going to be the most successful for whatever, you know, media organization that they cover. But I'm really happy that, you know, you and I have always been on the same page with that, but that our staff at 24-7, like, we all are just kind of like, shut your mouth. Like, stop asking these dumb questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, just, uh, you know, I, I just don't like that. So I appreciate you saying that. And we have the same respect for you, too. I mean, the stuff that you guys do at GoPowerCat.com is awesome. I mean, um, I, I I love going out to Manhattan, Kansas to cover games because I get to see you guys, you know, yeah. and get to um, just have some fun with you. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, interesting cats, I would say, for sure, in the Austin media. Well, and we try to stay, like, a little above the fray with that. You know, I... I see maybe why they ask a few guys coming off a really disappointing season in Austin if they thought about leaving, but K-State's coming off an eight-win season, a you know, signature bowl win over LSU. And the question is, if they worded it honestly, is why are you staying at KSU when you're Deuce Vaughn? You yeah. know, why 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 are you at K-State again? You know, it's it's really condescending towards Kansas State. And I'm and you know, Deuce is in his groove and it's all it's all good. He's he's a boy from Round Rock, a young man from Round Rock, and he's just happy to, you know, be in the, the right place at the right time, and I think he is. And it's K Staters just love him. He's a great kid. Right. Yeah. And, and he, I think it's a great place for him. Cause I mean, let's imagine if you went to Texas, for instance, cause you know, round rock is literally, I mean, I live in round rock. And so it's literally, you know, 20 minute drive to campus from round rock, Texas. It's like, he wouldn't be Deuce Vaughn if he was at Texas right now. Right. I mean, he would be probably like, it would be splitting reps or something like that where Kansas state really just gave him an opportunity to show showcase his right. skills and obviously it's paid off so well and you're right like asking those questions after uh, an eight win season i i think kansas state honestly going into this year i think if they stay healthy man they're a team that not enough people are talking about to be honest and so you know and a lot of that surrounds juice Vaughn. he has a, he's in a great place and um and, you know i love watching that kid play too i mean I love, I, I'll say like, you know, I did vote, you know, B. John Robinson as the offensive player there, but it was, a, it's, you know, it's one, a one B I think between the two of them. No, they're, they're different running backs. They're just different mm-hmm. styles. They both fit their institutions perfectly. The way K-State uses Deuce and Bijan's special. He, I compared him to the Lamborghini, obviously, and Deuce is a, yeah. is a high-end Jeep. You know, you just yeah. – they're two different kind of vehicles and they're two different types of things. And, and it uh, – uh, yeah, they're, they're both really special players and, and young men. Um, I, I want to get your, your perspective on this, and I do want to talk about realignment and expansion – particularly when it comes to Texas. But um, I I observed in – I've never voted in the polls. I just haven't. I, I've always felt that I'm the K-State guy. I cover K-State. That's all I really focus on is K-State, and I shouldn't be. And maybe that's a little bit old school in me, and I, I thought I'll just leave this up to the beat writers that cover the Big 12. Well, what's happened is a lot of people are voting the polls that um, – have far less credibility than those of us in our industry, which those days have passed. I observed in Arlington this year that I think our industry of all things, and I was scoffed at for getting out of traditional newspaper and into magazine and then eventually website, because, you know, what are you doing with your career? And we were looked down as the fan magazine as, you know, the, the, the fan sites. And there was always a, the blog. I love that word. And, um, (laughs) I, I've I've seen the industry grow, and now young journalists are moving into this direction, and older journalists have moved into this direction. I feel like we're the ones that cover these schools and these conferences on a day to day basis, and uh, constant. We don't we don't have just a morning newspaper, just constant coverage. I thought I I kind of feel like our credibility has totally flipped. I the way I saw newspaper guys behaving. At Big 12 Media Days, I saw a bunch of older guys, aging guys, who are worried about their careers, and they feel like the only way they can hang on to what they've got, and I, I appreciate this attitude, is by becoming the fanboy that the common fan will never hate. They'll never cancel their subscription. You know, the, the, they'll just kind yeah. of cling to that. And I... I just think it's interesting how how things have flipped now where I feel like you newspaper beat writers got to stop voting in these polls because I think you're skewing the numbers here. Let 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 those of us who kind of back up a little bit cover this thing. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think you're, you're spot on. Um, you know, cause I, my coworker Chip Brown, I mean, you know, he worked for the Associated Press. He was the Cowboys beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. I mean, he was in newspaper and when he left to go to rivals, this was, I think, I don't know exactly when it was. It was in, it was before I graduated college, I believe. But, um, when he left there, he had told me that he was getting tons of criticism. Like, what are you doing? You're going to go work for a fan site, a team site, whatever you want to call it. And he, I mean, that, that was honestly a a massive hire. I mean, I'll give credit to the Texas rival site that they were able to get, you know, a chip Brown that worked for the associated press and the Dallas morning news and that to go work for a site covering the university of Texas. Um, but he told me the amount of people that were telling him he was making a huge mistake. It was going to be the end of his career, all of that. It was substantial. And now he's one of the, you know, people that is well known nationally Mm -hmm. that covers the university of Texas. And he's only done it for websites basically for the last almost, uh, probably 15 years, you know? And so you're absolutely right. I think the industry is totally changing. And if you're not changing with it, you're going to get lost in the dust. And it's not the people that are the ones that first started. It's the ones that are kind of stuck in their rut. I'm not a rut. I wouldn't say that's probably the wrong word, but stuck in their place currently, you know, in print media or anything like that. I even think honestly, like local television sometimes too, you kind of run into that a little bit as well um, with so much push for online video and, you know, shorts and YouTube shorts or whatever it may be. And TikTok, all of this, I mean, everything's going in that direction. And I agree. I think that, you know, the people that were kind of the pioneers of doing that, like, you know, the Fitzes of the world and the Chip Browns of the world. I mean, y'all are the ones that really kind of got the ball rolling. And I, I think it's, it's very true. That's a very good point, you know, talking about that because, um, you know, some, you're right. Some of the, the newspaper guys, sometimes you hear them, you're like, what are you saying? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, oh my goodness. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there was almost like a negative connotation or like if you work for, if I work for horns 24 seven, then I am a biased diehard Texas fan. And it's like, no, it's absolutely the opposite, you know? And so it's, it's totally the changing tides of the industry. It's, it's very um, eye-opening. And I, I imagine even more so for you, especially um, going from the print into that, where this is kind of what I've only known. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. And I'll say this, and I, and I don't mean this as a I told you so, uh, if it comes across this way. Most of the guys, most of the people that gave me hell for getting out of real journalism and into fan magazine and then eventually website, they ended up losing their jobs. I mean, eventually they got laid off or they got so uh, beleaguered by what was going on in the industry, the amount of work uh, they were having to do since staffs were shrinking that they got out of it. So um, I, this has worked out well, but boy, to stay in this industry, and I don't care if you're young or, or aging like I am, you got to be nimble because things change so quickly. Um, I, I I'm, haven't started dancing on TikTok for my subscribers yet. <laughs> Come on, Fitz, let's do that. <laughs> but we do have a TikTok account where we try to put up stuff when we quickly learn that three-minute videos that you can do on TikTok now are still way too long. TikTok, you got about 15 seconds to get their attention or five. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too deep for that, Taylor. I think that's what I'm saying. I'm just too, I'm too deep. I'm too thoughtful for that kind of short content. Right. Yeah. No, I, I could see that for sure. But I do want to see a fit dancing video for sure. No. I mean, let, let's make that happen. No, nobody wants to see that. Nobody. <laughs> Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so Texas is departing. We still don't know when. Oh, give me this. When, when do you think Texas will depart? I kind of feel like this is going to be the last season. I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to figure this out, and Texas and Oklahoma will never be in the same conference as the four newcomers. Yeah, I see. I, I really just, I don't know. I mean, that that's the thing. That's the, I mean, honestly, it, it sounds silly, but it, it's almost like, like a $200 million question because um, of the Big 12 and the amount of money that the University of Texas and Oklahoma would owe to the conference. I mean, that's not pocket change. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's a substantial amount. And so I, I still think 2024 might be the, uh, the safe bet right now, but at this point, I just really, um, I really don't know. And it's going to be really odd. I think if the new, you know, the new conference members come into the conference and Texas and Oklahoma are there, I mean, it's, at some point it's going to almost look like the big 12 is holding them hostage. Right. Because right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a very unique situation. Um, you know, it's, I, I wish I, I wish I know the answer to it, but I just don't, I think, I think that people, I think if, if Texas and Oklahoma had their way, they would want to get out probably sooner rather than later. But the problem is, is the amount of money, you know, Oklahoma, well, the university of in this, I, I know that this may sound like, Oh, of course the Texas person is saying this, but it's, it's real. Like, um, you, you know, the university of Texas could afford the buyout right. now, right. the Oklahoma could not afford the buyout now. And so that is, you know, um, and I don't, I don't see Texas bolting without OU or anything like that. I don't see the SEC accepting one and like waiting on the other or anything like that. So it's really got to, I think it's going to come down to whatever, you know, um, Brett Yormack, the new, um, the new big 12 commissioner, whatever he kind of figures out in these meetings. Once he officially takes the job, technically, I know he was at media days, but I think his first day is what August 1st. So it's going to be very fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to see though, with him, if it's going to be as kind of scorched earth as it was with Bob Bolsby, because, you know, Bob Bolsby was, he was shocked. He was like that. This actually went down and he had no, like any insight or anything that Texas and Oklahoma were talking to the SEC, especially for as long as they were too. Right. So um, it's going to be very fascinating to see how right your marks, you know, how he handles this. I don't, envy him at all honestly as he takes this job because especially with realignment striking again i mean there's just there's so many moving parts but i think if i were i would say the safe bet is 2024 however you know i wouldn't i wouldn't actually put money on it either you know it's just because yeah. it's such a moving target right now yeah one of the one of the writers from austin did ask him a pretty good question he said bob bullsby has not wanted to discuss at all any kind of early departure where do you stand and he said you know we're open for business then and we'll talk about that and whatever it is mm-hmm. it's got to be good for the big 12 in other words pay us um and uh I just thought it was interesting because it it went beyond business for Bob Bowlesby. He was clowned one year ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have this go down right after he speaks the words of how good the conference is and how tied together it is, um, it it made him look bad. And I was kind of happy to see him pissed off because I just I kind of think he's too robotic about things. And he got Mm -hmm. into his feelings a little bit and snipped back at ESPN. I just thought it was interesting. But. It, it also looks like he carried that all the way through. He knew when he was probably going to step away, and he's like, I'm not going to mess with this. The new guy who, or new gal, whoever it was, the new commissioner can just deal with this. And and he put that on your mark's plate, but so be it. I, I think he'll he'll handle it. I, I've been around the guy for all of, you know, an hour maybe at – at media days and interviewed him and talked to him. And I'll just say, I, I wouldn't want to be on the opposite side of a negotiating table with him. I have a feeling he has a way of getting his way. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. And yeah. And you're right. He was clowned. I mean, Bob Bolsby was absolutely clowned. I mean, uh, that picture of him, it, it still makes me crack up whenever I see it. But when the Texas legislature had their meetings and Bob Bolsby is sitting there and he is just like, you can just see the look on his face, just so pissed yeah. off. Pardon my French, if that's inappropriate yeah. to say, but <laughs> he was so pissed and, and I, and right, honestly, rightfully so. And it made him look Bad, And I, I really feel like with Bob Bowlesby, I feel like the way that he handled, you know, um, the COVID season in 2020, I feel he deserved a ton of credit. And I think that he was starting to get a lot more of that respect because I do think that he managed it as best as he possibly could. And then it was like he was at the top, honestly, of his career as Big 12 commissioner. And then that bomb dropped. And it was like it, he was underground at that point. I mean, it, it was I understand why he would be yeah. so upset because I think it really made him look bad personally too. I've said this a number of times, but Bob Bowlesby was a great peacetime commissioner for this conference. He kind of bridged the first realignment, the wave. It was over about a year or two period, but that first wave of realignment into this and war broke out and they had to bring in a wartime commissioner. And I think the new guy is that. I think he's going to be a leader through that. And he'll only stay as long as it takes him to get things stabilized. And then he's going to move on to his next challenge. And I appreciate that, too. Don't don't, you know, jump into the hammock and just hang out and make a lot of money because right. these guys make so much money. It's incredible um, for being right. a commissioner. But um, it's. It's just fascinating to me that how it all went down. It did. He had done a really good job. He, you know, he did forge ahead with playing and help played a big role in saving college football during the pandemic. When, when the Big Ten was like, "We're just going to stop. We're just not going to play." And he's like, "No, we're going to play." So he yeah. forced everyone to follow along, and that was that was good leadership. It really was. I and I, you know, I will never dis, discredit him for that. That was great, fantastic leadership, and. Um, in a tough time. I mean, that, that wasn't an easy move for him either. I mean, you, you think about it, like all these people were saying, you know, the decision to play football that year is going to, is going to cost people's lives and things like that. And the fact that he, you know, stood his ground and followed what they believed was the science and all of that. I mean, it, it was, it was not an easy position to be in for sure. Like I, I, I didn't envy him at all. And I think he did just such a great job, honestly. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, you know, kind of not following suit because when Kevin Warren did announce that, you know, about the big 10, then the PAC 12 jumped out too. And it's like, well, wait, what's going on here? You know? So the fact that, you know, he was very instrumental in keeping the other conferences to not follow suit, I think is you, you can't ever, I can never um, discredit him at all for the way he handled that. But then, you know, to follow it up the next year, and have the two quote unquote top dogs, if you mm-hmm. want to say it, in the conference bolt and him being left in the dust. I mean, that's that was an unfortunate timing, I would say, at best. Well, and let's be honest here Ebola, monkeypox, and an asteroid could hit the southern United States and they'd play damn college football through <laughs> That is so true. <laughs> What's it going to be like being in the SEC? Is this good for Texas? I know the money's going to be better, and the money's there's always going to be something better after this. There'll be something after that'll even be more money. But is this good for the institution of the University of Texas? Well, that's that's a good question because I really like when we look at it from the football standpoint. Texas is so far away from being an SEC school. I mean, it's just our team for football, you know, that's, it's look at the record. I mean, look at, look at the development or lack thereof that you've seen from the university of Texas. Look at the rosters. I mean, when Steve Sarkeesian took over the Texas, um, you know, team in 2021, he was dumbfounded by the fact that there were so many scholarship wide receivers and like hardly any scholarship offensive linemen knowing full well. And this is before obviously the SEC stuff, but knowing full well that the school he came from, the university of Alabama and all of that, that that's what the SEC is about. And that's why it's such a dominant conference. Just like looking at those roster. And I know he's trying to do that for Texas from a roster standpoint, trying to get more of the, the big bodies in there and stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, Texas has fallen so far behind, even in the big 12, when it comes to football, that it's hard for me to say that, that might take the money out of the equation, which I know is probably is a 
the dumbest thing I could say because this is why they're going yeah. to the SEC. But but if you take it out of the equation, I don't know. I don't really don't know if it is a good move for the University of Texas in terms of the football program. Because where I would be concerned if I was Texas leadership would be that they turn into the laughing stock of the SEC after being middle of the pack or worse in the Big 12. And then it's like, what's the long-term repercussions from there? You know, and so I, I, I don't, I was, I was surprised by it. Um, I don't think it's any, you know, easier path to the college football playoff. Nothing like that. I feel like if anything, it's a lot more challenging yeah. now, you know, with college, if they expand the playoffs, Maybe that is why I don't know, um, but that seems almost to be on halt a little bit right now as well. So I, I don't. I personally fit like you know. I know that Chris Del Conte would probably be wanting to hit me for saying this, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it really was the best. Um, the best decision um, in the grand scheme of things. The only thing would be is if they thought that the Big Twelve was going to collapse or right. something like that. Um, and, and right now I think that that's still kind of up in the air at this point or how, who's going to kind of take over schools, you know, with uh, USC and UCLA going to the big 10 and realignment reopening for business right now. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would have made that move, um, unless there were some things going on behind closed doors that still have yet to be publicized. I, I don't know if it's the best thing for Texas. I, I would say probably not. Um, and it's a tough place to be, I'd say. The, the story of Nebraska has got to give everyone a little bit of hesitancy mm-hmm. about changing conferences because they just haven't been the same. That The, yes. the entire football program hasn't been the same the, from the moment they left this conference for the Big Ten. And now if, if they don't have a big season or a decent season this year, they're going to fire a, a favorite son and rebuild again. And it's just going into all this realignment, it's got to be a little bit scary. And while you can argue that A&M has done okay in the SEC, I think they would have done much better and been more visibly nationally, uh, particularly in later seasons after uh, Johnny Manziel moved on, if they had been in the Big 12. I just think and maybe that's a shot at my own conference that they would have been more competitive and more likely to play for a conference title here than there. But the SEC West is a bitch. It's horrible. It's it's unbelievably loaded. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know that's where Texas – I mean, they're not going to separate Texas and Oklahoma, so they're both going there. I mean, and I, and I don't know if they're going to do the pod system in the SEC or if they're going to do, you know, um, divisions or whatever it may be. But you're right. I mean, the Nebraska thing is true. I mean, think about – when Nebraska left the Big 12, they've since had, what, four coaches, head coaches, and not a, like only a handful of winning seasons. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the best record was Mike Riley at, at uh, Nebraska, and he was he had a 500 record. Yeah. And it's like that, that should be cause you pause for sure. That's a great example of like why sometimes the grass is not always greener on the other side. And, uh, yeah, and I think you're right about with Texas A&M. Like they've done okay, but still, I mean, their you know their best season, arguably outside of Johnny Manziel, their best season arguably was the COVID season. And it's like everyone wants to say that season has an asterisk next to yeah, it, you it know, because because it was a weird year, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you're right. I think that you know A&M, they obviously I think that they didn't like being in the University of Texas shadow a little bit obviously like they didn't want Texas to join the SEC and um, you know Ross Bjork made us think about that at SEC media days last year trying to basically shut it down but um, yeah yeah they leaked exactly they intentionally leaked it to try to make you know stop it or whatever but yeah I think that um, the grass isn't always greener and I think you when you mentioned Nebraska that's got to be something that both Texas and Oklahoma, probably with Oklahoma going through another coach, you know, a different head coach and transition type of uh, situation there in Norman. I mean, you, that's the last thing that you want for sure. Well, I think the good news for the big 12 is it's going to survive. Um, it's, it suffered traumas, but 10 years apart. So it's been able to mm-hmm. heal and then go through another trauma and, and they've healed pretty quickly. I like the four editions. Uh, the good news is I, I think, the Big 12 is fine. It's not going to get raided again. But that's the bad news. The bad news, as long as they're not going to 24 or above the SEC and Big 10, there's no one in the Big 12 left they want to steal. So, right. you know, I guess I guess that's the downside of it because 
you did see an erosion of the the Nebraska, the Texas, the Oklahoma, kind of, you know, the the big institutions of their state. And you leave behind a bunch of ag schools, and I just did a, one of our daily deliveries on it. But I think it's that spirit of agriculture that is helping the Big 12 survive. Like, yeah, we go through bad times. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it doesn't. You just got to deal with it. And right now, I think that that spirit of engineering and ag has really done the Big 12 a favor as they've continued right. to add. But, okay, you're, you're kind of an outsider to Big 12 expansion. But I want your thoughts on this. I laugh every time from someone from the Pac-12 reports that the Pac-12 is going to attempt to expand and take Big 12 schools at this point. When last year they didn't want them, um, and they could have had all they wanted. They could have had all the entire conference or four. They could have done whatever they wanted, and maybe they'd still be together. I doubt it. I think what UCLA and USC did was going to happen. But the Pac-12 has no chance at any kind of expansion of any Power 5 institutions, do they? I don't think so. I mean, it's going to be really interesting when uh, I always pronounce his name wrong, but the commissioner of the Pac-12, George, was it Kalev Kalevkov? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, MGM guy. When, yeah, yeah. So when he, you know, he has those. Um, he has essentially a 30-day exclusive negotiating window with its Tier 1 and t- Tier 2 media rights um, with ESPN and Fox um, in, for the Pac-12 coming up. And I, I agree with you. I would say like it's going to be interesting to see what they kind of stem from that. And then I think that's really what's going to lead to answers at the end of the day. But um, I, I would say that the Big 12 is in a far better position to take on schools from the Pac-12 than the Pac-12 is taking on Big 12 schools. And, and you're right, because, I mean, they had the opportunity opportunity to last year, but, you know, they, they didn't want to or whatever their reasons may be. But the Pac-12 is in a dumpster fire. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Yeah. I mean, their, their media rights are awful. They The amount of money that the schools get is awful. I mean, the fact that there's a joke of Pac-12 after dark because people don't even watch their teams play because of – you know, the time and stuff. It's not, I, I don't even think it's necessarily the time of games. I think it's just that the Pac-12 has fallen so far off the map that people don't care to tune into them, you know, and, and the teams that they do care to tune into, like the USC, they're leaving. So, yeah, I, I fully agree. I think that if anybody is going to be poaching schools, it's going to be the Big 12 poaching Pac-12 schools if the Big 12 does want to expand further in addition to adding, you know, the four new schools that are coming to the conference. But, yeah, I think – the Pac-12 is a mess. I mean, it's a dumpster fire. The biggest mistake I think that they made was honestly back in 2010 with um, not being able to get, you know, the Pac-16 or whatever they called it at that yep. time solidified because since then it's just, it's been a joke of a conference. I mean, people want to make fun of the Big 12 for not being competitive. What's the Pac-12? I mean, I yep. would say the Pac-12, there's some, I think, non-Power 5 conferences that are better than the Pac-12 conference at times, you know, and, and a lot of, the schools too. I mean, a lot of the universities there. They don't, a lot of the people in charge don't really care too much about the athletics. It's about the academics more so than Bingo. anything else. Yeah, that's a real problem for them. I mean, they will mm-hmm. never admit that, but the fact that they looked at all the Big Twelve institutions and said nobody's left that we want academically and athletically combined, we can't turn around a year later and invite Boise State. Uh, you know, and, no. and I love Boise State. It's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. It's a fine school, but it's not known for its academics. In fact, when USA Today ranks schools, it's not even the main rankings because mm-hmm. their academics are so poorly regarded, as is UNLV's. I think San Diego State's a fit, you know, maybe someone else out there. But I don't know who they're going to pick. Certainly nobody that makes up for losing USC and UCLA. Um, no. and, and what the Big 12 was able to do is, yeah, that. There, there was absolutely no two to replace them, but they went and got four, and mm-hmm. they went into different areas. I mean, I think UCF is a monster in waiting. It, you know, once they get better money, I, I hate to see how good Central Florida can become. But it's, right. it's they, I mean, they Pac-12s passed on BYU because of the religion thing. I get it. You guys, mm-hmm. you know, are above that. I understand, but now you got to live with that because. You probably want BYU right now, don't you? And you're not going to – there's no way they're going anywhere. So it's just yeah. – I'm very entertained by by these these schools that look at um, athletics through a, an academic window. And I'm like, that's really – I mean, that's nice. But 
that's it's not really what's important here. Are are your fans engaged with athletics? And I don't think Cal and Stanford can honestly say their fan base, their alumni are engaged like they are in the Big Twelve. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm I'm curious your take, Fitz. If you were able, if you were in charge of expansion and you had the opportunity to pick off some Pac-12 schools, which one would you want the Big 12 to add? Honestly, if I I just back up and look at things, I'd take Arizona State and Utah. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would take three, and I'd take Boise. And I know people go, we've got to take Power 5. Look, I think Colorado's brand is tarnished. It's aged. Um, they don't bring the Denver market. I, I'm so tired of yeah. hearing people talk about markets because as we move deeper and deeper into streaming, markets mean squat. They don't mean a thing. Right. Um, and, and then and Colorado is a great academic institution. It's a beautiful place to visit. I'm not going to mind going back there. But I also feel like they left the Big 12 for a reason. Um, they didn't feel like they fit in, and now all of a sudden they fit in. Well, they're just desperate. I would, I would, I would steer around it, but I also know this: the Big Twelve is going to end up in pods. You need four teams out west, and Colorado, you can slide back into a kind of a Big Eight pod with the Kansas schools and Iowa State, if you want to look at it that way. So, um, I think they're going to end up with the four corner schools. I mean, those are really the only fits. Mm-hmm. Oregon and Washington are tantalizing. First of all, I don't trust them, um, mm-hmm. and, and nor, nor should I. I mean, you can't trust anyone right now after what's happened the last two years. Um, they they want to be a bigger player than in the little old Big 12, but also the geography of it. I know people aren't talking about it. I don't understand how the Big Ten is going to operate with two schools out west and everybody else on the central and eastern time zones. I don't understand it. I don't see it. But, you know, I look at a map, and now you got a conference going from Orlando, Florida, to Seattle, Washington. I, I, yeah. just, I don't see how that works. So I, I wouldn't want to go too deep into, you know, people talk about a merger. I'm like, why does the Big 12 want to adopt the entire Pac-12 and all the things we just talked about? They're irrelevance. Mm-hmm. For all the respect I have for, you know, honestly, Angie at Oregon State, our publisher out there, is one of my favorite people in this industry. Um, Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She runs a great site. And I feel really bad that they're going to be left out. But I don't see any scenario short of somehow the Pac-12 surviving as a conference where they're going to be in a Power 5 conference. And I feel bad about it. um, Mm -hmm. But being at an institution where everyone said Kansas State was irrelevant and didn't belong – the fact that K-State is probably going to survive this is, is pretty amazing. And the Big 12 is going to yeah. survive. The Big 12 would, is in a position to be the third conference. And a year ago, that was unthinkable. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds. And I, I recognize that the SEC and Big Ten are going to be their own thing. And I think they want yeah. to be their own thing. I don't think they want to play by the same rules everyone else does. And I think we might actually be looking at a break, a breakaway of those two conferences into their own entity. Yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be fascinating for sure. And, um, you know, you're, you're spot on about the, the, you know, the geographic, like, um, illogical, I guess I was going to say yeah. logic behind it, but it's illogic. I mean, the, that is, I mean, cause like football, okay. If you think of like USC, UCLA football, yeah. You know, they, they travel Fridays, they get back, you know, Saturday. So that won't be too hard of a trip, but think of some of the other sports that are going to be impacted and think of the baseball. I mean, think about Pac-12 baseball. I mean, they, you know, there's a lot of really good baseball schools. USC is a great, you know, historical baseball program. And it's like, so they're going to be just traveling to, you know, three time zones midweek for those games or the, you know, the quote unquote non-revenue sports too, that have to do midweek games and competitions. And they're going three different time zones over to play one. It's like where, like, for the fact that that was shocking to me, honestly, that UCLA and USC did that because it's like, I understand you maybe want to be relevant in football, but think of the trickle down effect that this is going to impact or the impact that's going to have on the other sports. And it's like, at some point it's like, are you just trying to get rid of those sports or something? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because I mean, they can't, you know, with title nine, all of that. I mean, they have to, make it fair across the board, but where, how is this fair to a lot of those non-revenue sports or some of the, you know, women's sports too, that they're making them do this when it comes to, you know, traveling across the country to play a game and then travel back. I mean, it's, right. it's wild to me that that was the thing that's so wild. And, and you bring up like Oregon state, you know, traveling to Orlando, Florida, like, yeah, that, that would be a huge, I mean, that's a tough 
trip. I mean, it's a tough trip to go to Oregon from Texas, you right. know, let alone be off the side of the country. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. Honestly, it well, is. And it's going to be fascinating to see them. Don't tell me it's about academics when you're going to take your student athletes and have them miss so much time traveling. So exactly, that's a disconnect exactly. for me. And, and plus, you know, there's a chance that Oregon and Washington could end up in the the Big Ten. I think there's a little bit of a hesitancy there from USC to let Oregon in for whatever reason. I don't understand Pac-10 politics like I do Big 12 politics. But there's <laughs> some of that going on. But, folks, okay, that's great. They get two more schools on the West Coast. That's like putting Georgia Tech in a pod with Syracuse. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the same distance. Yeah. It, it, just because they're both on the West Coast doesn't mean they're close to each other. Go do the mileage. It, it's it's a West Virginia trip to Austin. I, it's the, the equivalent right. of that. It's just crazy. But it's going to be interesting. I'm going to miss going to Austin. It's gotten a little bit too weird at times now. I used to enjoy it, the weird. And now it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, ultra weird. Um, but I'm going to miss I'm going to miss the people. I really am. I'm going to miss, um, you know, all the, the guys from Oklahoma, the Oklahoma. Uh, 24-7 guys were at Top Golf with us, and I'm just going to miss the whole team. And, you know, we'll still see them around at, big, at 24-7 stuff, but not at Big 12 stuff. So that sucks. But I will be in Orlando once in a while too. So yeah, that's hey, important for me. Hit that up. Yeah. <laughs> I I almost went up to Brett Yormark in Arlington and said, "Look, this is just my input on expansion, but I think UNLV and Tulane." Would be fantastic. <laughs> they don't bring anything to the table or benefit to the conference, but I would like to have those schools in Vegas and New Orleans as my travel <laughs> destinations. You yeah. could work on that. Maybe just offer them like uh, one share that they have to split in half, and let's go from there because <laughs> it's it'll make me happy. And and as you learn, Mister Commissioner, me, uh, I need to be happy for the Big Twelve to thrive. <laughs> It's all about fits, for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just don't think enough people recognize that. I, I'm just really yeah. kind of peeved about that. How long are you going to stay in this industry? There. Are you uh, <laughs> are you are you going to just stay? I'm seeing a, kind of just a constant bleed off of young journalists out of our industry, and it breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean, I I want to say for as long as I can. I mean, I think I would say, I want to stay for as long as I can deal with it. I would say that probably, but (laughs) no, yeah. I mean, I, um, I I feel like I've grinded for so long to get to where I'm at, but it's like, I'm such a competitive person that I'm like, I'm not going to give up. I mean, you guys have to kick me out in order to get rid of me basically at this point. But yeah, that's, that's where I am. What about you? I'm curious. you. You know what? I, I've thought about exiting certainly with my health that brought that up. But I, you know, I made another pivot and I'm doing, look, the the day that I can build my business because I'm doing video uh, is a weird day in this industry. <laughs> it's kind of like John Clayton, bless his heart, uh, doing video. What, how, how did we get here in our industry where, where people that uh, were too ugly for print end up doing uh, vi- video? But that's where we are and it's helped. Uh, but I, I've, I have told everyone that if we ever get to hologram fits where you can have fits <laughs> tell you the news in your living room, I, I think we all want me out before then. I, I don't think <laughs> anyone wants hologram fits coming in because hologram fits will give you the news and still grab a beer out of the fridge somehow. I don't know how he'll do hologram. it. He will. <laughs> He'll be, he would be there to stay. He's, he's staying the weekend. Not oh, yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, hologram, shouldn't you leave now? No, nah, I'm going to, I'm just going to sit here. Do you mind if I take off my pants? You know, that's going to be the hologram fits. Uh, nobody wants that. It's just bad for everyone. No, I, I mean, you could, hologram fits can come stay here anytime you want. So. That's awesome. Well, tell the husband hi. Uh, and uh, it was good to see Chip. I love Chip. I know I know some people don't like Chip, but Chip is one of my favorite people in our industry. Uh, but he, uh, even Chip didn't have this scoop before it happened. I just want to point that out. Yeah. How about mm-hmm. that? Chip did not have this scoop a year ago before, at least as far as I know, before it broke. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it came out of nowhere. And Chip has been, you know, at the forefront oh, yeah. of realignment for, you know, every, any time it drops, I feel like, you know, with he, him starting or, you know, being the first to report about the the hope to be the Pac-16 back in 2010. I mean, yeah, that that's that in itself should show you how shocking this was because, I, I mean, we had no 
heads up about this. And for Chip to not have a heads up of something like realignment, especially involving Texas actually physically leaving and not just, you know, talking to other conferences or anything like that, that in itself, I mean, I, I don't know how Chris Del Conte and, um, you know, the OU officials and Joe Castiglione, I don't know how they kept it so quiet and so under wraps right. like they did. I mean, it, it's, I mean, I guess it's kind of like you kind of got to give them credit because I've it's never amazing. seen. It is. Yeah. Because, I mean, these talks were going on for months. It wasn't just, you know, out of the blue. I mean, this was going on for several, several months. And the fact that nobody knew about it, it was just so surprising. And you're right. The fact that Chip did not even break it or had any intel at the time Incredible. until it was broken, you know, by the um, Houston Chronicle, I believe it's the one that broke it. But the fact that he had to then, you know, kind of follow the trail that just shows how, how well, I guess they kept it under wraps and how shocking it was to everybody, including, you know, the people that cover these two schools. You mean the, the, the biggest daily newspaper Closest to Texas A&M broke it, huh? I know, huh? Yeah. That's ironic, right? That, uh, no, just a coincidence there, I guess. Uh huh. But before yeah. I let you go, uh, how how weird are Texas A&M fans? Go, come extremely. on, give me your answer. It's, Honestly, look. extremely. Like extre- it's yeah. I I don't I don't understand it, and I'm glad I don't understand uh-huh. because uh-huh. it's like once you start understanding it, it's like you're part of the cult all of a sudden. <laughs> so that's the way that's I why, look at it. That's why I'm. And, <laughs> So uh, it was all new to us. You guys had a lifetime of experience with A&M and the Southwest Conference here as an institution. But when the Big 12 was formed and K-State went to A&M and the loss of 98 championship to A&M, it was a fun rivalry and it was a cool new atmosphere. But after about three or four trips to College Station, you start getting this weird vibe like these people really are a cult. Yeah. What is yeah. what is this yell practice thing on Friday night? Um, yeah. I went to that once and I'm like, did they just sacrifice a lamb? What is going on? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. So my husband went to Texas A&M. I know, that's part of he, why I brought it up. Yeah, so he, and I will say he... Uh, he considers himself, I think, what does he call himself, the, the two, 2% or 3%, I forget what it is, but basically the more logical Texas A&M fans, you know, his dad was a high school football coach, you know, his dad um, sent plenty of kids to all over the state, so he was he didn't grow up like a diehard Aggie or anything like that, but my husband did tell me that when he was in college, he went to one midnight yell practice, and he was like, where am I? (laughs) Even he, as an A&M student, you know, fresh out of high school, so excited to be in college. He was like, uh, I don't like this. This seems like weird. Like, and he, he doesn't like when I make the jokes about it being like cult, like, but he will say that those midnight yell practices are kind of like a cult. (laughs) Like me, he's like, I just never knew. And he was like, I was kind of looking over my shoulder, like, is somebody about to like come out and like do like some sacrificial thing? Like what is going on here? Like every time I see that, I'm like, one of these guys in all white making these weird hand motions is going to put on a giant goat head at any moment. I mean, it's going to be that. It's just so, so odd. Well, I'm so glad that I know moving forward, Texas has to deal with A&M again. And I appreciate that. And and like that about realignment. I do. I, I think that that's good for college football. And that, that's the one thing with realignment that I hope does not go away, like those type of rivalries, because that really, I mean, the fact that Texas and Texas A&M talk about each other in their fight songs, but they can't play football because the two schools can't, you know, agree on anything. I mean, that realignment hurts the most. And, I, and I'm and i glad that that rivalry will be back um, playing football. At least I know some other sports have played um, between Texas and Texas A&M. But that, that's the thing that I – you know, college football especially is so special, and college athletics in general, but college football specifically is so special because of those rivalries. And what I would hate to see is more schools go through a situation like Texas and Texas A&M did because it's good for the state of Texas for those two teams to be playing football on an annual basis. And, you know, getting the egos out of the way, and I just think, I, I just hope and I pray that a lot of these historic rivalries do not go, you know, to the wayside essentially like how Texas and Texas A&M have. I'm glad that that rivalry is coming back.
but I just hope it's it's good for college football to have those historic rivalries. It's good for college athletics. Um, good for college, their fans, everyone involved. It's good for those rivalries to be around. So I hope that those continue in other conferences as realignment also continues. What a perfect way to end this phone call. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Taylor. Love you, sister. Good job. Anytime, down there. Fitzy, Love you, you so okay. much. Talk to you yeah. Bye bye. Taylor is just a special person. There's no doubt about it. She puts up with a lot of crap from a lot of guys on social media that demean her simply because she's a female. But you could probably hear during the course of that conversation, she knows her stuff. I get very upset with any man who just thinks a woman doesn't belong in our industry. I just think it's caveman-like, and I don't understand it. I think some of the best people in our industry are indeed females, and they bring something to the table that I can't. And that's true in a bunch of other backgrounds, whether it's age or race or education, whether you're an athlete or not. And Taylor brings something really special to our industry, helping Texas with video and audio and all those things as we continue to evolve as an industry. She's a great person. I'm glad I got to share her with you as we continue our Life of Fits Season 3. And fellas, again, get to the doctor and get your PSA scored. I spent too much time in Arlington at Big 12 Media Days talking to guys about prostate cancer. And it's not a conversation you want to have. That's it for this week. I'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening. ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.